This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the auction community studios, Luke Lipinski here. Jeff Darge behind the glass. Sarah Cazell. I appreciate it. Staying one extra minute to dance us into the show. So now she has one less minute of a weekend just to drive some energy into the show. We uh, we appreciate Sarah here. There's uh, there's nobody else quite like Sarah Cazell. We got a lot to talk about tonight. We will start with football. The Arizona Cardinals have a pretty big game against the L.A. Rams this weekend. You know, it's it's been interesting with the way the last two weeks have gone. There was all that buzz coming off the uh, the Hale Murray against Buffalo, and, and there was all that excitement the week that they played Seattle. But, you know, there was also the NBA draft. There was NBA free agency, and then they lost the game to Seattle between the draft and free agency. So the you know, buzz kind of died down a little bit, but they were still 6-4. and four. You go out there last week, and I don't want to say it was flat, but there was just kind of this, this um, I think the prevailing feeling among Cardinals fans going into the Patriots game was like, okay, we should win this. It's going to be a bigger deal if we lose this. Like There just wasn't that juice going into that game because it almost felt like you had nothing to gain and everything to lose, and then they lost. But now you've got five games left this season. At 6-5, and five, it is far from a guarantee that this team is making the playoffs. I think they will. I think they'll finish 9-7. and seven. I think they'll be fine. But two of those five games are against the team that has absolutely owned the Cardinals for the past three years. And we've talked about it, obviously, this week. I mean, the Rams have outscored the Cardinals 195-56 to in their last six meetings. And those last six meetings have all come in the last three years. So, you know, part of that is, okay, well, it was Bruce Arians, Carson Palmer, a beat-up Cardinals team that that first year of this, the the last year of, of the Bruce Arians era in Arizona. Then there was that very forgettable Steve Wilkes, Josh Rosen year in 2018, the Rams uh, hammered the Cardinals that year. But then even last year, I mean, they hammered them the first time coming out of the break and they beat them as it was at least close in week 17. But the bottom line is Sean McVay has the Cardinals number and the way things have, have broken down now with that loss to Miami and the loss to New England. I mean, you know, you look at those and you're like, you need to win one of those two games. Things would feel so different if the Cardinals had just won one of those two games, either the Miami game or the New England game. I'm forgiving the loss to Detroit. I'm forgiving the loss to Carolina and that loss to Seattle. But either the Miami game or the New England game, you win one of those, you're 7-4, and four, you feel very comfortable that you're going to make the playoffs, and you're still in the running for the division. I mean, you're technically still in the running for the division now, but you got to make up two games. There's only five weeks left, and again, the biggest issue is you've got two games against the Rams. This all just sort of breaks down to the Cardinals are going to have to go through the Rams to make the playoffs. There's just no way around it at this point. I mean, I guess you could win the other three games, lose the two that you have against L.A., but that's no way to live. If you want to make the playoffs, and you know, I I would say it's even bigger than just this season. If you want to be a force in this division, at some point, you have to send a message to the Rams that you can beat the Rams. Cliff Kingsbury had media availability today. He was asked, how specifically do you beat that Rams defense, led, of course, by arguably the best defensive player in the NFL, 
Aaron Donald. You have to tune in to see how we try and defeat it, obviously, but uh, they're playing good on defense. Been impressed with um, the scheme and, and the effort and the energy on that side of the ball, and obviously they have talented players. There's a lot of storylines. You know, there's the obvious one of Kyler Murray versus Aaron Donald. There's the one with uh, Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, it's pretty well documented. Cliff Kingsbury even basically said it last year when they played. Sean McVay's success played a huge role in Cliff Kingsbury having no NFL coaching experience but getting a head coaching job and just happened to end up in McVay's division. Yeah, definitely. We text. Um, you know, obviously both of us have a lot going on, but um, we definitely stay in touch and um, not like trash talk or anything like that, but just every now and then pick each other's brain on, on something that may have, have come up. I, I just I, I go back to, to that thought that I haven't been able to get on my mind all week. At some point, you need to beat the Rams beyond for, for, for reasons beyond this season. I mean, now we're in this position. Like I said, you lose to Miami, you lose to the Patriots. So you're, you're probably going to need to beat the Rams at least once just to have enough wins to make the playoffs this year. But big picture, you've already shown you can beat Seattle. I mean, the Cardinals are 2-2 two and two against Seattle with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. 1-2 and two against San Francisco. But the two losses last year when San Francisco went all the way to the Super Bowl and the Cardinals were in full rebuild mode, the two losses were very close. They hung with them on, on Halloween night, and they had a, a significant lead on them a couple weeks later. Like They probably should have beat them in the second meeting. And then they come out there and beat them in week one this season. It's not like they own the 49ers. I'm not saying that. But it's like, you know you can beat the 49ers. We know the Cardinals can beat the 49ers. You even kind of felt good about it after the, the two games last year. And it's been pretty much dead even with the Seahawks now in four meetings. But... Until proven otherwise, the Rams have your number. And the Cardinals have a chance to bury all the, the stories about how Kyler Murray is handling press conferences or how, how injured Kyler Murray is or why nobody else can, can consistently step up on offense if Kyler is hurt. Uh, they can bury the storylines of, okay, you've lost three of four and it was almost four of four. If you go out there and beat the Rams this week, all of a sudden you jump ahead of the Rams. You know, you're potentially able to pick up a game on Seattle and the Seahawks are are most likely facing Colt McCoy this weekend so maybe not but either way I mean you really if you beat the Rams this week you really put yourself in in a great position to feel comfortable about the playoffs again to turn all the narratives around this team that are either negative or just apprehensive right now into into positivity again and finally send a message to the Rams. Like, I don't think if you go out there and beat them on Sunday, the Rams are going to be afraid of the Cardinals, but you need to at least show them you can beat them because it's been a long time. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Well, we got Phoenix Suns basketball coming up in less than three weeks. What, three weeks from this past Wednesday will be the first game of the season for the Suns. That's all we knew until today about their schedule. We just knew they weren't playing on Christmas, and we knew they were opening on Wednesday, December 23rd, at home against Luka and the Mavericks. Most likely, well, it's not even most likely. It's like 99.9%. Dallas won't have Chris Stapp's Porzingis uh, in that game. The Suns' first half of their schedule was released today and that that was expected we don't know when we're getting the second half quite yet but there was a pretty good feeling that the NBA was going to release the first half of the schedule at some point this week and uh, they did it today 
looking through some of the trends in case you're just hopping in the car. You haven't seen any of this. Like I said, the Suns will open with Dallas on Wednesday, December 23rd. Then they play two games in Sacramento that weekend, the 26th and 27th, right after Christmas. So that'll be be a busy sports weekend. You've got Suns at Sacramento on on December 26th, and you've got the Cardinals uh, 49ers game, which of course will be here because both teams play their home games here now. Um, you look through the first uh, portion of the schedule. The Suns only we'll, we'll get deeper into this later on, but they only have one game against the Lakers. You know, it, this is just going to be a, a quirky season because, I mean, I, I know that some of this stuff is subject to change depending on, you know, if teams are dealing with COVID issues or whatnot. But their first 37 games are are scheduled out, and the 37th of those is their first meeting with the Lakers. I'd kind of rather play the Lakers early because it sounds like LeBron and maybe even Anthony Davis aren't going to play as much early because they just won the championship, you know, not even two months ago. Uh, but, you know, there's other stuff that works in the Suns' favor. They, they played Dallas three times before February 1st, and, you know, Porzingis is going to miss the first one of those. He might miss a couple of those. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this breaks down. But eight back-to-backs in these first 37 games, that's, you know, that that's not, like, an extra obstacle for the Suns. Everybody's going to be dealing with that this season. Nine nationally televised games, though, in the first half of the season. So that's... That's something. That's not uh, that's not typical for the Phoenix Suns in recent years, and it 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 shows what the perception of this team is changing into. A lot of that is Chris Paul, yes, but a lot of it is also Devin Booker. You know, we, we talked about this even going into the bubble. As bad as twenty twenty has been for like everybody, Devin Booker had a monster season last year was one of the stars of the bubble before the playoffs got started, obviously. It was really him and Damian Lillard in those eight games leading up to the official playoffs. I mean, he's, he's dating a Hollywood celebrity. Like, Devin Booker raised his profile more than almost anybody in the NBA over the last year. And none of that matters if you can't back it up with your play, but we already know Devin Booker can, and now it feels like the rest of the, uh, the country is finally coming around. So that's the reason they're on nine nationally televised games. It's the addition of Chris Paul, and it's Devin Booker, and, you know, there's some intrigue around DeAndre Ayton, too, and the Suns are supposed to be a fun team this year. They've also got a couple games on NBA TV, too. I think four. Yeah, it looks like four. So add those in there, too. I mean, if you want to count that as nationally televised, that's 13 in the uh, in the first half of the season. We'll get more into the schedule in a little bit. ASU basketball beat Cal last night so the Sun Devils are 3-1 and one. they now have a week off before their next game against San Diego State which is probably good because Marcus Bagley got hurt in that game last night and it looked bad when it happened if you were watching doesn't sound like it's nearly as bad as it as people were maybe thinking during the game last night so uh, the update today was just kind of it's it's not as catastrophic as it looked and so maybe uh, you know who knows maybe he's able to go for the next game because it's a week away but they need Marcus Bagley. ASU, though, off to an excellent start. 3-1. and one. The one loss was to Villanova uh, on Thanksgiving. Villanova's number three in the country. But if you like college basketball and you kind of haven't had a chance, if you're an ASU fan especially, or if you're just you know, a local sports fan and you like college basketball, you haven't had a chance to check this team out yet, I would do it. Josh Christopher is a, is a, a pretty fun player to watch, and he's not the only one. you still got Remy Martin. You still... You know, you have Marcus Bagley in there now. You've got some some pieces, some some familiar names, and Kamani Lawrence and some of these other guys. But uh, Christopher in particular, you're talking about one of the the best recruits ASU has had since James Harden. 
we had Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source on earlier this week, and he said, you know, he's talked to some NBA people that were like, might have been a top five pick if he was in this year's draft. And I've seen him projected as a lottery pick in next year's draft. So, you know, how how often do you get that here at ASU? He's he's definitely uh, he's definitely worth watching. And ASU is pretty pretty decent looking team so far. Football side of things, sounds like they're finally going to play a football game tomorrow. At Sun Devil Stadium, that would be the first game at Sun Devil Stadium since 2019. But uh, ASU and UCLA is, looks like it's on for tomorrow, uh, 8.30 at Sun Devil Stadium. And sticking with college football here real quick before we hit the break, sounds like Ohio State, Michigan State is likely on. And the reason that matters is because there's a decent chance Ohio State, Michigan, like the Wolverines, next week aren't going to be able to play Obviously, still up in the air. That's eight days away. But uh, this is not an Ohio State show, and I'm not an Ohio State fan per se. But they are four and zero, and yet somehow still in the college football playoff projections. They need to play a couple more games to actually be one of the four teams in the playoff. So it's it's a big deal nationally that they uh, they get a couple games in. And it sounds like you know it's it's uh, it's 2020 and we're talking about college football so anything could change but right now less than 24 hours away from their game tomorrow against Michigan State it sounds like they are going to have a game all right that is the rapid reaction when we come back you know we talk so much about what Chris Paul could mean for DeAndre Ayton and we've heard from the coach we've heard from Chris Paul we've heard from other people that are insiders around the NBA how about we just hear from DeAndre Ayton next it's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station the Rundown with Luke Lipinski. I've always heard you American guy and women. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you. A couple other things on that sun schedule in case you haven't seen it. I said the nine national TV games plus the four on NBA TV, and again, this is all just in the first half of the season, so that's it's a lot more national exposure than they've been getting over the last uh, probably three or four years combined. Eight back-to-backs. you got to watch out for the three games in four nights. Uh, that's that's going to happen a lot this season. It's going to impact different teams different ways. I hate load management in the NBA. I think most people do. I mean, I, I think Adam Silver hates load management in the NBA because how many times is it like, hey, we got uh, we got the Lakers playing Minnesota or whatever, but um, yeah, LeBron's going to sit this one out. Anthony Davis is going to sit this one out. Or, you know, Lakers, Clippers on TNT, Kawhi's going to sit this one out. It's going to be kind of unavoidable this season, and I think a lot of what makes a team successful this year is going to be determined by how they how they do the load management without Without going overboard on it, I guess. And, you know, we're just looking at the Suns' perspective, but if you got a lot of three game and four night stretches, it's not just, okay, well, that means Chris Paul can't play very much. Like, we don't know that. I mean, he's, he's 35. He's going to be 36. He's not 65. Uh, but, it, you know, three games and four nights, you're going to have to be smart about it. But it, it's not just Chris Paul. Like, yeah, can Devin Booker handle that? Yeah, he can. You're not going to just, like, sit him random games, or if you do, it's not going to be very many. But it's how much do you want to play him per game and at what points in the season. And you have to pinpoint which teams, you know. Early in the season is when the Suns have a lot of their games against Dallas and Denver and Golden State, who I really think I really think Golden State is going to be in a similar spot to the Suns in terms of Western Conference uh, seeding. 
I mean, Houston, we don't really know what's what's up with Houston yet because we don't know if Harden's going to be there. But Sacramento, I mean, they should be below the Suns, but that's a team the Suns see a few times here early in the season. Those are the games, really, where you're going to have to be like, okay, we got to make sure, you know, Book may have to play 42 minutes tonight. But maybe Book doesn't have to play 42 minutes on February 14th against Orlando or hopefully February 8th against Cleveland. You know, hopefully you have a, a good enough lead on the Cavs in the fourth quarter where you can save some minutes. That's going to be huge. Another part of this Suns team that's going to be huge, of course, is DeAndre Ayton. And this audio is from yesterday. We didn't have a show yesterday, and I want to react to some of it. You know, there's there's been so much made about, okay, Chris Paul's here. He's going to bring out the best in DeAndre Ayton. Well, Ayton talked about it, and uh, he opened his press conference talking about how excited he was to have Chris Paul here. And, uh, and then he went on to say, you know, CP3 is the sort of guy that can take this Suns team to a whole new level. Just knowing the type of tradition and the type of, you know, dude and the type of career he had and the foundation he laid in his league is tremendous. And knowing that I'm going to be a part of his legacy, oh, yeah, I, I can't stop moving. I'm even working hard. I want to lift more weight. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's go time. You know, you have a future Hall of Fame coming here to really show us the ropes and help me and book out as young guys and, you know, who could really take over this league. And, you know, just here to really show us the right way. And, you know, Sovereign James Jones just putting the right pieces around us to really get this thing going is amazing. I know it's just words. I know that, you know, I know there are Suns fans that are going to say Aiton is great no matter what he does. And I know there are Suns fans that are going to they're going to be disappointed in him almost no matter what he does. And, and I think most Suns fans are probably somewhere in, in, in the middle there. I know those are just words that he just said about how he's excited to have Chris Paul here and everything. But I don't know. I, I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by it because the thing with Aiton is not, well, I don't know if he has the talent. Like, no, we, we know he has the talent. Take Luka out of the equation for a second. Does DeAndre Ayton have the talent to be worthy of being a number one overall pick in a normal year? Yeah. The question is, is he going to get angry enough or get fired up enough or get motivated enough? Or is he going to be able to find consistency? I mean, he's shown the flashes of being able to do this. And that's, again, it's not the only reason Chris Paul was brought in here. Like Chris Paul is pretty good at basketball. But a big chunk of it is what can he get from DeAndre Ayton? Well, if DeAndre Ayton is kind of rolling his eyes at all all of this and saying, like, okay, great, like, this guy's here, whatever, I'm going to do my thing, that would be concerning. Or if he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Chris Paul, I've, I'm sure he's good, or, you know, I've, I've heard good things. Most of his press conference yesterday, Aiton's, was him gushing about Chris Paul. And I, yes, he was asked a lot of questions about Chris Paul, but his attitude, you hear him say right there, he just wants to work out more and get ready. Like It's not like Aiton didn't care before, but if you can get him more motivated, and a lot of that is on him, and it sounds like he is, I mean, then you start to talk about the Suns being a very dangerous team in the Western Conference. Uh, here's more from DeAndre Ayton. I've changed my game and add on so much to my game now. I get the ball wherever, to be honest. You know what I'm saying? But other than that, it's just feeling Chris CP3 out. You know what I'm saying? Where he want me, you know? I get the ball wherever and score the way I've been working. And, you know, I can't wait to show my show my talents, but it's all about what this team needs. And if I roll, do I roll right away? Do I spin out this roll? Do I roll cautiously? It's like, you know, just knowing his terminology and what him and I can communicate on. And, you know, he's the leader and he's the vet, you know. If you want me to jump, I, you know, I got it. 
you know, that's our vet and that's our leader. So whatever he wants, we, we, we locked in, we buying in on it. No questions asked and I'm just ready. There's no ego with Aiton. I don't know, Jeff. I mean, what do you think? You're you're a big Suns guy. You how how do you feel about Aiton's chances this season? I mean, I think the main thing about DeAndre Aiton is that he he's got it all there. He has all the tools that he needs. I think, and this is why I really like the Chris Paul trade. I think what it really takes is to unleash that. Like DeAndre Aiton is a grown man with still kind of like a sophomore NBA player mentality. We need someone who's going to make DeAndre Ayton realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm seven foot tall. I'm 200-something pounds. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. I mean, we've seen it before. We've seen Ayton, even if it's only for five or ten minutes or maybe it's a half, we've seen him just take over a game and kind of realize, like, wait a minute, I'm bigger than all of you. And I can kind of do whatever I want around here. But then he kind of goes back to being like the nice guy who, you know, gosh, this is fun to be playing in the NBA and doesn't really have an ego, which I know in a weird way has worked against him sometimes, or at least that perception. I mean, if he's not out there dominating, people look and they're like, hey, he's just he's 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 having too much fun. He's too nice. He needs to go out there and get mean. But now I really do think not having that ego is going to allow him to soak up Chris Paul's and Jay Crowder's advice and, you know, them leading by example. I think not having that ego is going to allow a guy like DeAndre Ayton to soak all that up. And and really, I think we're going to see the absolute best of him at points this season and I think really, really next season. But we're going to see, you know, up to this point, I think we're going to see the best we've seen from him. If you just look at the first three years of his career, because he was already trending up before all this. I mean, you, you do have to look and say, if they don't make the trade, and it's just you know Rubio's back, so you have a point guard, and you've got Kelly Oubre, so you you know you still have a really good weapon on the wing this this season. DeAndre Ayton was still going to get better. It's just now you've really accelerated that uh, that process with him. Here's more from Ayton on Chris Paul. Well, me, I just want him. I know he's gonna be on my tail. You know what I'm saying? I love. I need that. Me and Book need that. This team needs that. So just. Me, I'm a dude who's very amped up and, you know, just willing to, like, you know, just just destroy everything for real. But just having somebody who could challenge all of that and just lead us the right way is amazing. It's going to be a fun season because we're, we're going to, you know, in years past, it was like, hey, you know, let's talk about what the Suns could have done. Or, you know, what, what if they had gone out and gotten this guy? Or what if they had picked somebody different other than Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris or, you know, whoever, Josh Jackson? Or, you know, what if they did? What if, there's no what ifs this season. We're going to see it play out. And so it's going to be a lot wider range of emotions. So get ready for it. I mean, less than three weeks. What, the losses are going to hurt more this year. But the wins are going to feel better this year. And I just like that the Suns are finally going for it. There were, there were just too many years in there where it's like, well, let's not try yet. And I know that wasn't James Jones. But there were just too many years where it's like, ah, let's throw another year away. I mean, Golden State's good, so why would we want to get better? <laughs> okay. Golden State's winning titles. The Suns weren't going to win a title in 2017. doesn't mean you can't try and get better. But either way, here we are now. The mentality has clearly shifted. James Jones sure seems like the right guy to, to be here when the mentality is shifting to let's go for it. And, you know, there's stuff that's going to fall against you, but also stuff that's going to fall into place that you couldn't even really plan for. Once you finally pick up and go for it, 
you know, you're going to see stuff that maybe wouldn't have evolved over the course of the season when you were just kind of playing out the schedule, which they kind of were doing for a few years in there. Now it's like we're going to go for it. Okay, well, Porzingis isn't playing for a while for Dallas. Well, all of a sudden that matters to the Suns. You know, we're going to see some team in the West that they're contending with, whoever it is, some team's just not going to get off to a good start this season. It's a 72-game season. That's going to matter because the Suns are actually pushing for it. It's going to be a fun season. And, you know, there's you're, you're going to see what what DeAndre Ayton has. And I'm sure there are going to be some nights where he, he just looks like he's burned out and he's probably tired of Chris Paul getting in his ear. And Chris Paul doesn't get tired. So, you know, there, I'm sure there's going to be games like that. But there's also going to be big stretches this season where we look at DeAndre Ayton and we're like, yeah, that guy's... He's he's good enough to eventually be the second true star on this team. You know, when Chris Paul isn't on the team in a few years or whatever, it can can it be DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker and you know a, a changed culture that that makes other players want to come here? All that stuff is, you know could be in play, but we're gonna find out what DeAndre Ayton truly is this year and next year. And I tell you, it's a big deal that he wants to find out too. He's not just like he's not put off by the fact people are talking about him. As if he needs, he needs like a jolt from a from a veteran player. He's like, yeah, bring it on, let's do it, let's let's figure it out. All right, we come back. We'll get back into football. The doubters are out there again around Kyler Murray. It's uh, <laughs> and talk about up and down. Kyler Murray's had a remarkable season. There was talk earlier this year of him as an MVP candidate. The team could easily be eight and three if not for a couple bad penalties and missed kicks, and yet. There's, there's people nationally talking about Kyler Murray like the team is 3-8. and eight. We'll get into that next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. This is the Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Yeah, it should be a good one on Sunday, Cardinals-Rams. It better be a good one on Sunday, Cardinals-Rams. 195-56. to 56. So what the Cardinals have been outscored by L.A. over the last six meetings over the last three years. So that obviously needs to uh, to change in a hurry. I mean, it, it's not good enough if the Cardinals go out there and they play the Rams and it's close and, oh, they lost 27-24. Like, first of all, I think we're all going to rip our hair out if they lose another game by a field goal. But um, the moral victories, you kind of had that last year in Week 17 when, when they made the game close against the Rams after getting hammered a few weeks earlier coming out of the bye week. That's all out the window. Obviously. Cardinals are right there with the Rams. This is Keyshawn Johnson, who I know has uh, has been critical of the Cardinals this season. And then he started to come around, and then the Cardinals stopped winning games. But uh, he had some different things to say about Kyler Murray. Not necessarily uh, stuff I would have expected, or not, not stuff I feel like is warranted. Comparing Kyler Murray to Jared Goff... I don't know about you. I'd rather have Kyler Murray than Jared Goff. Keyshawn, not so much. Are we not having, were there not rumors circling around about whether the Rams were going to bench Jared Goff? No, that's just he's people. not. He's not they having a better benching, season than they Kyler Murray. Never benching he's Jared not Goff. having a better season than Kyler Murray. How could you have I, him ranked ahead of him? I think he's a better quarterback than Kyler Murray, but that's just me. Is he having a better season than Kyler Murray? Statistically, he no. I'm asking you as, as a quarterback, is he having a better season? I would say that the couple games that he's had bad games, the Miami game and the last game against the 49ers were bad football games. Okay, for him. They were bad games. That's just bad games. But also can point to bad games that Ryan Tannehill's had. 
Kyler Murray has had. Josh Allen has had. I can we, point to games. We were talking about Kyler Murray being somewhat in the MVP conversation. I never said uh, that he was in the MVP come on, conversation Come on, Keith. He's having like a that. phenomenal year. Yeah, the first voice there was, was Jay Williams, and then the second one was Keyshawn Johnson, obviously. I mean, they have the show on ESPN in the mornings, and, and, and Jay Williams has been a little more level-headed about Kyler Murray this season. Look, we all know about Keyshawn's views on the Cardinals because he was very critical of them. He has the charity bet with Burns and Gambo. Well, I think they have to get seven wins. The Cardinals need to go over seven wins. Burns and Gambo win the bet. And I believe, if I remember right, that bet was made when the Cardinals were 2-0. and That's So I, I will give Keyshawn, even though I don't agree with him at all, that he has been consistently skeptical of the Cardinals this season. But it's just... It's it's ironic, I guess, how this has played out because they were 2-0, and and I remember we played some of the clips, and this is ultimately what prompted him and, and Burns and Gambo to make that uh, that charity bet. You know, he was saying, oh, they beat the 49ers in week one. They were all beat up, which wasn't true. And they beat Washington, so who cares? Well, I mean, Washington's not good, but they might win the NFC East now. Either way. So then there's all this, so much talk about the Cardinals on that show and they go out there and lose to Detroit and Carolina. So then he's like, okay, I told you so. And then the Cardinals go on that run. They're 5-2. and two. Everybody's feeling good about the Cardinals again. And there's he was like, Keyshawn, we should have had Gamble on to ask him this. But I mean, Keyshawn was essentially kind of like, okay, I'm going to lose that bet. Going into the bye week, and the Cardinals come out of the bye week, they've lost three of four, and they almost lost the fourth one. You know, so now the, 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 they've opened themselves up to the criticism again. The thing that I don't get is I don't feel like Kyler Murray has done anything to open himself up to criticism. Like, he's got better numbers than Goff across the board. Goff has lost the Rams games this season. Kyler Murray really hasn't lost to the Cardinals any games this season. He's had games, like the Patriots game, where you look back and you're like, he could have done more, they could have won. But, I mean, he's 19 touchdowns to 9 interceptions for Kyler, even with the struggles lately. Goff has 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Like Goff's got 200 more passing yards, but Kyler Murray has, what, like 625 more rushing yards and 10 rushing touchdowns? It's insane to say that Jared Goff is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray right now. But here's more from Keyshawn Johnson. Murray is doing what he does within this system, and you can't fault him for that. But there's so much limitations to what he can do. I don't, I don't want to be a poo-poo guy about his ability but clearly, you can see what these defenses have defenses have done to him in recent weeks. You keep him in the pocket. You allow him to try and throw over those bigger defenders and don't let him get on the perimeter where he can see, and you have an advantage on the situation. I understand he's been able to scamper and get some big runs and do those sort of things. Let's see what happens this week against the number three defense in the Rams. Yeah, and look, I mean, that that's what it boils down to, right? I mean, it, Keyshawn Johnson, I don't feel like he's going out of his way to be overly critical. Like, Bart Scott does not seem to like Kyler Murray at all. I think Keyshawn Johnson also kind of talked himself into a corner earlier this season where he's kind of got to be the guy that is nationally saying, hey, the Cardinals aren't as good as everybody thinks. And and unfortunately, lately, they've been proving him right. But, it you know, it, at the end of the day, you have to go out there and just prove it on Sunday. And it goes back to everything that was being talked about on Wednesday when that question was asked to Kyler, you know, what are you going to do when, if teams are figuring out how to take you out of the running game? How do you exploit the opening that they're leaving somewhere else on their defense? And he laughs at the question. It's like, you know, 
we all know, looking at that, that he's going to get a bunch more criticism now nationally. Like That was my point on Wednesday. Was, I don't really care if he laughs at a question, but you're now going to get more criticism. And if that question's bothering you, then I'm worried that actual criticism is going to bother you. But at the end of the day, the best part about sports is you just wipe it all away if you go out there and beat the Rams on Sunday. You don't have to answer any questions as far as I'm concerned if you beat the Rams. If you answer the questions on the field and beat the Rams. Well, back to the NBA here real quick. You know, one of the stories that um, has been evolving really over the last couple of weeks, and it peripherally impacts the Suns, is what exactly the Houston Rockets are doing. Uh, I think we can all agree they got a little bit worse earlier this week when they traded. Worse in, like, in the moment. I'm not saying the trade was necessarily bad for them, given all the outside circumstances. But when they traded Russell Westbrook to Washington for John Wall in a first-round pick, you know, maybe at the end of the day that first-round pick becomes something. But I'm just looking at this season in particular because Houston was the four-seed. And if you're a Suns fan... Yeah, your team's a lot better, but you're going to need some of the teams that were ahead of you in the playoffs last year to drop back a little bit. Is Houston going to be one of those teams trading Russell Westbrook for John Wall, who hasn't played much over the last three years in the moment, probably makes them a little bit worse. I mean, if Wall's able to play, then maybe that turns things around. But the big question is what happens with James Harden? A lot of people think he's going to Brooklyn. A lot more think he's going to Philadelphia. But Woj was, uh, was, he was on ESPN. I mean, obviously, everything he does is on ESPN. Making the point that maybe Houston's not looking to trade Harden at all. Maybe bringing in John Wall is a way to try and keep James Harden. He was certainly, he had a preference of John Wall over Westbrook. Although in the last couple of years, you know, Harden has moved teammates in and out. Brought Chris Paul in, moved him out. Same with Russell Westbrook now. Uh, whether that's going to be enough uh, to convince him to stay, to want to be there long term, Rockets aren't sure about that. Uh, they do have a cushion to work with. Remember, James Harden's under contract for two more years, uh, so they're going to start the season with Harden and Wall, and and they're hopeful that John Wall can get back to that All Star form, a five time All Star, a former number one overall pick, and if they can get John Wall back playing at a high level. You know they're hopeful that that will be able that will help to make a case to James Harden. See that the reason this matters obviously to the Suns is you would prefer that James Harden just got dealt to Brooklyn or Philadelphia or whatever. If he's going to go east, and it really doesn't seem like a lot of the talent goes west to east in the NBA right now. It seems like it's always coming from the east to the west. But I get the people are confident in the Suns, and you should be because you have a legitimate team now. But it, you can't tell me it wouldn't help your playoff chances or your chances to move up in the playoffs instead of being the sixth seed or the seventh seed. Maybe you could get in the conversation for the four seed if James Harden got traded to Philadelphia or whoever in the Eastern Conference because if Houston does that, maybe it helps them. Maybe they, they find a deal that makes them better off down the line. And, you know, Harden's already kind of said, I don't want to be here anymore. And, you know, Mike D'Antoni's not here, and Daryl Morey's not here, and this isn't what I signed up for at this point. Uh, maybe Houston's able to make a trade that's good for them big picture. But with the Suns set up the way they are, I really only care about this season right now. And if Houston wants to move James Harden out east, 
I wouldn't be opposed to that. All right, we come back. Steve Kime was on with Doug and Wolf this morning, and he had a lot to talk about. How does he feel about Kyler Murray's demeanor? How does he feel about the fact his team is six and five when they're not that far away from being eight and three, or you know, also potentially four and seven? That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona Sports Station. Ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studio. Luke Lipinski here, Jeff Darge behind the glass on this Friday evening. We'll start with the Cardinals at home taking on the L.A. Rams this Sunday at State Farm Stadium. The first of two meetings the Cardinals have with the Rams here in this final, I don't know what, basically month of the season. I mean, the regular season for the Cardinals ends a month from yesterday, January 3rd, and it'll end in L.A. against the Rams. We all hope, and I think most of us assume, there will still be games after that for the Cardinals, or I mean, at least a game after that in the, the playoffs. But, uh, you know, it's it's up in the air right now, and they're going to have to go through the team that has had their number more than anybody else has had their number over the last few years in the L.A. Rams if they want to make the playoffs, because at 6-5 and five right now, the Cardinals currently sit 7th. The top 7 are going to make it. Now, I know there's been this talk of like, well... The NFL has to push to a week 18 to, to play some makeup games, then they may push to eight teams from each conference making it, and that would really help the Cardinals. Like, yeah, it would, but they just dragged out a Baltimore Steelers game that didn't look like it should have been played for six days until it could be played. And they also just made the Broncos play with no quarterback. So I, I wouldn't be holding my breath for the extra game or the extra playoff team scenario i'd rather just get into the top seven spots where the cardinals are and where they have been for a while but now that lead on the eighth team is a little more perilous because that eighth team is minnesota and chicago and san francisco each of those teams have their issues i mean san francisco's really beat up probably more so than any team in the nfl but remember i mean that's still the same coaching staff and still a lot of the same players that went to the super bowl last year so you don't want to let them hang around Chicago is awful. They've lost five in a row. But even there, I mean, only a game back, if they could ever figure out their offense, you know, it's not inconceivable they could get to eight or nine wins. Minnesota's the one that worries me the most of those three, just because they do have Dalvin Cook, and they have Justin Jefferson. And, I mean, the Cardinals are, I think, considerably better than Minnesota on paper. But in the standings, they're one game better. And Minnesota has been winning lately, and the Cardinals haven't. I mean, honestly, the team that, I guess, worries me the most is the Cardinals right now because they, uh, they're they not playing up to their potential. But if they start doing that, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll get, you know, they'll be possibly even moving up the, uh, the standings. If you beat the Rams this week, this is where it gets, this is where it gets crazy again. If you just beat the Rams on Sunday, for all the concern around this team right now, that would make the Cardinals seven and five, the Rams seven and five, and the Buccaneers don't play this weekend, so they'd be seven and five. There's your three wild card teams, all seven and five, and the Cardinals. You know, in real time, would have the tiebreaker over the Rams too, so they would actually be right there in position to get the top wild card spot, which means a game against the NFC East winner in the playoffs. A lot changes this week if you beat the Rams. If not. Stuff changes because Minnesota's playing Jacksonville, but it's not the kind of change that you uh, you necessarily want. We're going to react to some of the stuff that uh, that Steve Kime said in that 
interview with Doug and Wolf earlier today. One of the things, though, when he was asked about Zane Gonzalez, in case you missed it, he was essentially like, yeah, you know, he gets paid to make that kick. But also, I'd rather just convert the third and two before that play so we're not kicking a 45-yarder to go up by three when there's still time for New England to come the other way and score. I get the criticism for Zane. He just... Good guy, does make a lot of kicks, but he's not making kicks in key moments right now. He does need to start making them, or it's going to be bad for him, I'm sure. It's going to be bad for the Cardinals, though, too. But there's a lot of truth to what the GM just said of, you know, we could convert the third and two as well, right? And then you don't have to, you don't have to kick the 45-yarder. When, you're, when your kicker's not making key kicks, that's on him, obviously. But you could stop playing for field goals late in games and tie games and being like, okay, well, it's uh, it's 21-21 here. Let's, uh, let's play for the field goal. It's uh, 24-24. Let's play for the field goal. Like, no, just how about get some first downs and just win the game that way. To the Phoenix Suns, the first half of the schedule has been released. We already knew they weren't playing Christmas. We knew they were opening at home against Dallas on national television. We didn't know they were going to be on national television nine times in their first 37 games, plus four more on NBA TV. So the 13 puts you on pace to be on like 24, 25 times this season. That's that's uh, that's a pretty good indicator that people around the NBA want to see what the Phoenix Suns can put out there on the floor. Some of that is, I would say, the majority is the fact that you just traded for Chris Paul. But there's certainly a lot of that interest coming from what people saw Devin Booker do in the bubble. And people know DeAndre Ayton's name nationally. I mean, number one overall pitched a couple years ago. And then, he's, you know, we, he sometimes get caught up in the, well, he's not Luka. He's still having a good career, though. But, um, yeah, there's interest around the Phoenix Suns. And they're going to be on national television a lot more than a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in 10 years typically uh, is going to be on, but now, of course, the uh, the key is you have to go out there and, and answer the call. Eight back-to-backs in those first 37 games. There's quite a few, three games and four nights. You, know, you look deeper at the schedule, and, and you're going to see situations like December 26th and 27th, where the Suns go to Sacramento and play the Kings twice. Or January 22nd, 23rd, Denver comes here, and the Suns play the Nuggets twice. Uh, January 30th, February 1st, go to Dallas, play the Mavericks twice. You're going to see more of that this year. If you're going to make the trip anyway, why not play two games against the team, get those out of the way, and uh, you know just cut down on travel as, as much as you possibly can. In this first uh, chunk of the season, the Suns play the Clippers once on January 3rd and the Lakers once on March 2nd. And incidentally, March 2nd is the latest game that we know for the Suns. After that, then the schedule, the second half of the schedule will drop at some point. Some of the notable dates, January 27th against Oklahoma City. That's the first time Chris Paul will play his former team. Um, Kelly Oubre and the Warriors, January 15th against the Suns. And like I said earlier, I, I do think that Golden State, if, if all goes according to plan for the Suns, I think Golden State is a good team to measure the Suns against because they don't have Clay Thompson, but they did add Kelly Oubre, and they did add James Wiseman, and they are getting Steph back and Draymond Green. Like Golden State's still a good basketball team. Ricky Rubio and the Timberwolves on February 28th as well. Uh, you know, those three games, aside from having the 
storylines of you know it's Chris Paul's former team against Oklahoma City. It's it's uh, it's Kelly Oubre when you're facing the Warriors, Ricky Rubio when you're facing the T Wolves. Those are all teams in the Western Conference. We don't you know they're not in that Lakers. Clippers, Nuggets group where it's like, okay, those three teams are a given to make the playoffs. I think the Warriors are a playoff team. I don't think Oklahoma City or Minnesota is, but still, those are those are big games. Those are the teams that you need to climb above now if you are the Phoenix Suns and you want to do what a lot of people, it's becoming evident, believe the Suns can do this season. Uh, they do have a seven-game homestand in February, too, that concludes with a game against Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets. Steve Nash, of course, <laughs> Steve Nash is is, is, uh, is coaching the Nets, and I would assume this is news to him, too. It just came out in the last couple hours. Apparently, Kyrie Irving, reportedly, has decided he's not going to speak to the media all season, so that'll be interesting. The, uh, the Nets have a lot of talent. There's a chance they get James Harden. They have Kevin Durant and Kyrie, Karis LeVert, although it would have been nice if he made that one last shot in that game against Portland in the bubble, but whatever. Karis LeVert's a good player. Um... If Kyrie's not going to talk to the media all season, this is already this is already becoming more and more interesting because I would assume that means Kevin Durant has to talk to the media more about Kyrie. When they play in Brooklyn, it's not like they play in some small, quiet town with uh, with minimal media coverage. There's a decent amount of coverage in the uh, Brooklyn slash New York area, so stay tuned on that one. College football ASU is currently, it seems like at least, on track to play. UCLA tomorrow night at Sun Devil Stadium. Should be a good one for the uh, the Sun Devils. Good tests against the UCLA team. That's been fairly impressive. They've actually got to play some games. ASU has only played that one against USC in USC back in week one of the Pac-12 season. Also, ASU basketball beat Cal last night. First Pac-12 game of the season. Sun Devils now 3-1. and one. The lone loss came against number three Villanova. Josh Christopher has looked really pretty good in these first four games. Marcus Bagley, a big part of the equation, did get hurt last night. Sounds like it's more of just maybe a calf issue than at the time when he got hurt last night. It looked like he might be out a while, and they haven't given like a timeline or anything, but they did say it's, it seems like they maybe, maybe dodged one there. Maybe it's a little bit uh, less catastrophic than it appeared last night. Uh, National Hockey League targeting a mid-January return. That's at least the goal. The, the owners and the players have kind of been at odds now over the last couple weeks with um, which restructuring and deferring money with no fans going to be at, at most of the games this season. The initial start date, the plan was for January 1st. Now they're pushing for uh, mid-January. It sounds like the players at this point want to be able to spend the holidays with the families and then you got to take time to quarantine and everything obviously there are uh, border issues you're bringing people in from Europe and you're sending players to Canada so stay tuned but it sounds like they are at least working towards a mid-January return maybe that means an early February return but either way a return would be the most important thing uh, for the NHL there and uh, some NFL news if you are playing fantasy football, and I would assume you are, I guess the question is if your fantasy football team is still in contention, may want to go out and pick up Devontae Booker because it sounds like he's going to be starting for the Vegas Raiders this weekend against the New York Jets. Josh Jacobs likely out in uh, in that one. Uh, other NFL news. The NFL is going to prohibit in-person meetings at team facilities for two days after games according to a memo distributed Thursday night to all the clubs. So that'll be, be a little, little bit different. 
here as we uh, as we go deeper into the holiday season. I know the NFL was, was kind of worried about players and, and team members getting together with their families over Thanksgiving and then, you know, wondering if that was going to cause or spur any sort of rise in COVID cases. I mean, obviously the holidays are a time to be with the family, so we'll see if that's, uh, if it becomes an issue here in the next few days or, or week. And then, you know, again, I guess with, with Christmas. So the NFL doing everything they can to minimize in-person interaction during the week. Not much you can do once the uh, once the games are scheduled, but at least during the week, they're, uh, they're trying to cut down on that in the days right after the games. All right, when we come back, we'll get back into this Cardinals game. Kyler Murray facing Aaron Donald. You want to talk about a tough obstacle to get where you want to go this season. It's not just the Cardinals going through the Rams. It's Kyler Murray and the offense going through maybe the best defensive player in the NFL. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown. 98.7 FM Arizona's Sports Station. Well, in case you missed it before, played back part of that Steve Kime interview with Doug and Wolf this morning, and I'll just isolate this one, his uh, his update on Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, just know that he's got to get through the uh, COVID protocol, and um, it seems like he's just talking to him. He seems like he's doing well, so we'll see. I'm just not sure really where that's at today, but uh, we're certainly hopeful. And in terms of his uh, chances of suiting up on Sunday against the Rams? Well, I mean, you just have to see if he clears, which I, I that's sort of out of my uh, out of my pay range. So, <laughs> or maybe in my pay range, but it's just out of my expertise. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, good, I guess, to hear that that Fitz at least sounds like he's doing well as a, just a, on a human level. Trent Sherfield, of course, was activated off the COVID reserve list earlier this week. Fitz has not yet been uh, activated, so. I think we're all sick of trying to play doctor, but um, you know, it's possibly he just is uh, is dealing with this, and he caught it a few days later than Trent Sherfield, if that's you know, or he was exposed to it or whatever. So uh, we'll see. But uh, it'd be nice to have number eleven out there, not just because you want every offensive weapon you have against a team like the Rams, but also it'd be nice to have Fitz and his leadership out there around the team right now. It's not like the Cardinals are falling apart. But they are now facing criticism and and just the the sort of criticism that comes with having the spotlight on you that they haven't faced in a while. I mean, let's be honest. This this team has not faced criticism that, as if they are underachieving or scrutiny as if the quarterback is not a leader, even though he's in his second year in the league. They haven't faced this sort of scrutiny since Bruce Arians was here. Um, let's start here with Cliff Kingsbury. He was asked if it matters if Kyler Murray's like body language and, and just his sort of kind of negativity after a loss, if that matters because he is the quarterback. Yeah, everybody um, is going to be different when it comes to game day and, and how they mentally prepare and, and how they stay focused. And, um, you know, Kyler, when you're around him, he, he is laser focused on, on trying to be the best and, and uh, do what he can do to help his team win. And so I, I think, you know, things um, will come with time as, as he gets more comfortable and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure more personality will show. But I, I appreciate the fact that on game day he's locked in, he's focused, and he's doing everything he can to help his team win. 
And, of course, Steve Kime was asked about it. He was asked if you're concerned with uh, with Kyler's sideline demeanor. Well, I will say this. He is the ultimate competitor, and I love the fact that he hates losing. But um, I think it, it, it would go for all of us, not just Kyler Murray, because I have to challenge myself um, when we lose that I'm a leader in this organization and that I can't show my frustration um, the way I want to sometimes. And um, it's challenging, as you know. When your life and your career is attached to results, it's extremely difficult. And uh, that's not excuses for Kyler, myself, Cliff, Michael, any of us in this organization. But at the same time, that's a challenge all of us have every day. None of us are perfect, but we'll continue to um, to make sure that we we grow again as people, as uh, employees, uh, and and that we certainly give kids out there uh, the right role models to look at. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this this is just it comes with the territory now. If you are on the national radar, nobody cared nationally if Kyler Murray was upset after a loss last year or if he didn't answer a question the right way or if he took too long to answer a question or if he laughed at a question. I mean, I can tell you we're not really allowed to practice this year, but last year I was out of practice a lot and Kyler Murray handled himself like a legitimate professional last year. I mean, and he was a rookie and he was experiencing more losing than he probably has his entire football life combined before last year. But if he had laughed at questions or taken a while to answer questions after a loss, the Bart Scotts and the Keyshawn Johnsons and all the people, just all the the national media members wouldn't even have taken notice because the Cardinals were happy to get to five wins last year. It was was a step up, you know, happy to, to show progress and get to five wins. But this year it's like, okay, you got a second year quarterback that was drawing MVP talk earlier this season, and there have been weeks this season where Kyler Murray has looked borderline unstoppable. Unfortunately, they haven't been the two most recent weeks, but there have certainly been weeks this season where you look and you're like, I don't, how does a team stop him? If he's going to throw downfield effectively, they're going to have to stretch the defense out and he's going to run all over him. Now, hasn't been that way the last couple weeks, obviously, so the Cardinals are, are going to have to adjust, which gets us back to the question that was asked to him on Wednesday and the one that he laughed at, whatever. I mean, I think, like I've, I've been saying all along, I will just maintain the stance that he's only going to bring more national media scrutiny. I don't think local media here is, is going to pile on Kyler Murray because he didn't answer a question the right way. But nationally, he's going to, he's going to be dealing with more scrutiny but he can erase all of it if they just go out there and beat the Rams this weekend. And uh, the biggest key to doing that is avoiding Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was asked how he plans on defending Kyler. Uh, well, he's a good football player that can do a lot. Um, obviously, you know, you play a lot of quarterbacks in this league that's mobile, but you know, he definitely a lot, a, a lot more quick twitch and can do things. So um, you got to just rush, you know, have gap contain, you know, don't get upfield. Don't leave rush lanes open to the point where you can step up and have a choice of, you know, running or passing. So um, we, we know what to do because we played a lot of, you know, mobile quarterbacks. We got, we got two of them. We got him in. We got Russell Wilson in our division. So, um, you know, we kind of know how to handle it. We just got to make sure that we, you know, rush the right way pretty much and, and gap sound. So. Yeah, look, I mean, Aaron Donald is what makes the Rams scary. And from a Cardinals perspective, Sean McVay, just because he's had the Cardinals number ever since he came into this league. You look at the Rams, though. I mean, they got handled pretty pretty convincingly by the Dolphins. 
They've lost both games with the 49ers this year. They're 7-4. and four. They're one game ahead of the Cardinals. Obviously, if you beat them, you pull into a tie and you have the tiebreaker. The Rams, just in general, if you, if you line these two rosters up on paper, I, this is about as even as it gets. I mean, there are areas where if, if the Cardinals had Chandler Jones and if, if I felt like Kyler Murray shoulder was, was 100%, I'd be like, the Cardinals are the better team, on paper at least. But Aaron Donald is the great equalizer, and, uh, and Sean McVay has, has shown to be a pretty uh, astute coach. So this is going to be, it's going to be fun one on Sunday. Hopefully, it's definitely going to be a pivotal one. Like we're gonna we're gonna know a lot about the rest of this season by the time Sunday night hits. Phoenix Suns less than three weeks from the regular season opener at home against the Dallas Mavericks. Wednesday, December 23rd. Actually, preseason starts a week from tomorrow for the the Phoenix Suns. Their first half of their schedule was officially released today. So like we got the preseason schedule uh, like a week ago. They, They play Utah. Uh, next Saturday, and then the following Monday, then they have the Lakers twice that week, uh, December 16th and December 18th. We knew that. We knew they weren't playing on Christmas Day because Woj leaked that out earlier this week. And uh, we knew that they were playing their home opener on national television on ESPN, December 23rd against Luka and the Mavericks. Now we know a little bit more about the schedule. The eight national, te- or rather nine nationally televised games in the first half of the season, eight back-to-backs. You've got a seven-game homestand in February that wraps up with a game against Steve Nash, uh, the apparently now silent Kyrie Irving, who's not going to talk to the media this season, Kevin Durant, maybe James Harden, who knows, uh, and the Brooklyn Nets. Only play the Lakers once in these first 37 games. It'll be the 37th game on March 2nd. In L.A., so that's the one thing I looked at. Like They've got the eight back-to-backs. Everybody's going to have back-to-backs. They've got a lot of three games and four nights. Everybody's got that. Uh, Kevin Pelton, for what it's worth, had a thing on ESPN saying the Suns have the 13th hardest schedule in this first stretch of the season. The one thing that stands out to me is I, I kind of would have liked to have played the Lakers a few times earlier this season. It's not like, oh, you're afraid of the Lakers sort of thing. It's just, you know, Lakers just won the championship last year. And they do have LeBron and, and Anthony Davis, and, and they just added Dennis Schroeder. Like, they have a good team. I would like to play them earlier this season when I know the Suns are fully healthy and when there's a decent chance LeBron might not play as much. But those are the breaks. Suns have the Clippers on January 3rd. They have the, the Lakers on March 2nd. Those are the only meetings with the L.A. teams in the first half of the season. So you know the second half of the season is going to be pretty L.A. heavy for the Suns, and that's fine. I mean, that's, that's when you'll be trying to chase down a playoff spot and, uh, or maybe, you know, better yet, trying to move up the playoff ladder in the Western Conference. DeAndre Ayton talked yesterday, and he talked a lot about how excited he is to have Chris Paul here, what Chris Paul can potentially do for him. He also said, look, just as a side, I've never worked harder to get better than I already am right now. The way I feel, I work so hard coming out of this bubble that I'm not worried about what's next. I, yeah. I'm working so hard right now on what's in front of me that I, I know these results are going to make its way. That's how hard I'm working every day. I thought I was working hard during the suspension, during my injuries, but no. This right here is willing. It's like it's just me on the regular. Coming out of that bubble, it did something to me like working every day, being this professional, having this professionalism or being a professional I am, 
and just, you know, embracing that and actually, you know, approaching my craft seriously, like to the point where it's like, dude, if you're not with this and you, my friend, get out of here, you know what I'm saying? That's where I'm at. Yeah, look, I mean, you got to see the results, right, before you can fully believe it. But I think we all believe that he's telling the truth when he says he's never worked harder to get better in his life. And as you hear him say it right there, it's been that way since the bubble. It kind of makes sense, right? I mean, you went to the bubble and you went 8-0 as a team. If you are a player on that team and you are a young player on the team like DeAndre Ayton is, you're looking around saying, wait a minute, Devin Booker has, uh, has hit another level. And he's not, he's just not accepting losing. And Mikel Bridges is playing out of his mind. And we're just beating teams. And we're winning every night. When you get a taste for that, some guys, that just that, that is what motivates them. It's not the negative reinforcement, it's the positive reinforcement. You go in there and you, and you put it all out there in the bubble and you go 8-0. It's like, wow, okay, hold on. Why wouldn't I even try harder now? And see how that plays out over the course of 72 games. Like, yeah, some guys get more complacent because they're like, okay, look, we just went 8-0, we're fine. But, you know, other guys don't respond well to the negativity. They respond to the positivity. And that eight-game stretch for the Suns was the most positivity around this organization in 10 years. So if that somehow spurred DeAndre Ayton to already take an extra step to try and be better this season before the Chris Paul trade even happened, uh, so much the better then for the the Phoenix Suns. All right, we come back. We'll get uh, the L.A. Rams view on this game this weekend against the Arizona Cardinals. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. All right, we got about 10 minutes left in the show. I'm going to see if I can run through all of these football games this weekend and give you the the top fantasy storyline for each of them. I would assume at this point in your season, you're either fighting for a playoff spot or I guess there's some leagues where the playoffs are starting this week. You just don't want to be in one of those leagues where your season doesn't end till week 17, and I found out I'm in one of those today, which, you know, it's, I guess it, you really don't notice the difference between week 17 and any week in this uh, 2020 NFL season. All right, let's start Saints-Falcons on Sunday morning. What are you getting from Taysom Hill at this point? He looked pretty good against Atlanta two weeks ago in his starting quarterback debut last week not so much but he is uh, we're just looking through the fantasy lens he did put up points last week he ran two into the end zone Atlanta doesn't really have a defense but uh you know with with you would assume most quarterbacks most good quarterbacks already on rosters up until a couple weeks ago if you picked up Taysom Hill uh either just as a flyer to see what he could do at quarterback or if you were in an ESPN league where you could play him at tight end and now you still have him this is uh, an interesting week. He might be able to get you some points going up against Atlanta. Or maybe he's just going to fall flat because he didn't look very good last week. Uh, Lions-Bears, the two teams that just don't... The Lions don't have any weapons left right now. Matthew Stafford, I feel like, is out there just a few plays away from maybe throwing the ball to himself. The Bears have lost five in a row. I, I don't even know... I can safely say I don't have any Bears on any fantasy teams, but if I did, if I have to start them, I guess it's good that they're playing the Lions, who are pretty pretty discombobulated. I would say from the Cardinals' perspective, you obviously want the Lions to win this game, but if they do, that's now two 5-7 and seven teams. So, just goes back to what we were saying earlier this week. I mean, the Cardinals are in good shape in the sense that they control their own destiny, but if you don't start winning soon, somebody just mathematically is going to have to catch you. 
Browns Titans, two eight and three teams from Tennessee. Derrick Henry, what is he going to do this week? He tends to get better as the season goes. We saw it last year. We even saw it. We, actually, we, we really saw it the season before. He's doing it again this year. I mean, he had three touchdowns in the first half uh, of last week's uh, game. The Browns, though, have been winning with defense and their own running game. So uh, you can make a case that uh, Derrick Henry and, and Nick Chubb might be two of the, what, I don't know, first five running backs off the boards in fantasy drafts next year. And they will be facing off in this one. Bengals, Dolphins, man, this one had all the potential to be Joe Burrow versus Tua. And now it is not. So the Bengals are kind of Bengals are one of those teams that could really cost your fantasy team if you were relying on guys like Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins or Joe Burrow or Joe Mixon, who's not playing. Uh, you know, those are players that that got you in a good position earlier in the season, and now without Burrow, that offense is just kind of nothing. So you have to to find somewhere else to pick up some points for your fantasy team here as the playoffs approach. Jaguars, Vikings, Justin Jefferson, and Dalvin Cook have been two of the most dynamic players on offense in the NFL over the last month. And uh, again, from the Cardinals' perspective, this is an empty feeling, but you really need Jacksonville to win this week. Jacksonville, incidentally, has lost 10 in a row. But Minnesota, I think most people agree, is, is the team that is most dangerous right behind the Cardinals in the standings in that uh, that NFC wildcard race at the moment. Raiders-Jets mentioned this earlier, but in case you missed it, looks like Devontae Booker is going to start at running back for the Raiders. It's, you know, it's, the running back is always a brutal position in fantasy football, but here you are now heading into Week 13 if you need a back. He's going to almost certainly be starting for an injured Josh Jacobs against the Jets of all teams, so that might actually be a guy you can pick up and plug right in and start this week. Colts-Texans. Houston's been a little bit better offensively of late, but Will Fuller is suspended for the rest of the year, so if you're looking for a fantasy storyline in this one, it's probably who is Deshaun Watson going to throw to other than Brandon Cooks. Is it Kiki Kuti? Uh, Randall Cobb's not back yet. David Johnson is nearing a return. He's obviously a decent receiver. Um, he's not DeAndre Hopkins, but he's a, he's a decent receiving option out of the backfield. But uh, the Texans may have their hands full on offense anyway against that Colts defense. Rams, Cardinals, well, I, th- I think I think the fantasy question here is the same as the question we're all just asking in general. How dynamic can Kyler Murray be with that shoulder injury and, and facing Aaron Donald in the Rams defense? Is he the guy that we saw for the first nine games of the season where it felt like any week it didn't even really matter who he was playing, he was capable of just going off? Or is he just trying to get through these games, grind out a Cardinals win, but maybe not uh, not in the high-flying offense sort of way we saw earlier this year. Giants-Seahawks sounds like Colt McCoy starting this game at quarterback for the Giants. The Seahawks defense, if you're in a fantasy league, they've actually been sneaky good the last couple weeks. They play the Giants and Jets coming up. Ever since they added Carlos Dunlap, they're getting sacks. That wasn't just that Cardinals game, but, I mean, the bigger thing for the Seahawks defense, which which isn't good in real life but is at least improved is they just have amazing matchups during your fantasy playoffs Eagles Packers wow the Eagles I mean Carson Wentz I I cannot think of a more mysterious drop-off in the NFL over the last few years I mean a guy that was an MVP candidate just a couple years ago and helped the Eagles 
get into position to ultimately win the Super Bowl, and now he can't complete passes. Meanwhile, Green Bay is, uh, when Aaron Rodgers is motivated and, and dialed in, that team is, they look, they look tough in the NFC. And they also use both running backs. Jamal Williams is a guy, and also if you're desperate for running backs, you might be able to pick up. Uh, and, and at least put him on your bench. But, I mean, he got a decent amount of carries last week, even behind Aaron Jones. Patriots, Chargers, Justin Herbert has got to be one of those guys that when the fantasy websites put out those stats at the end of the year and they're like, this guy was on the most fantasy teams that won championships. Justin Herbert, I'm assuming, is going to be pretty high on that list just because he has, I mean, it's going to depend how he plays the next few weeks, obviously. But he was a guy that wasn't drafted in most leagues. Or if he was, it was very late as a backup. And he's been one of the most prolific fantasy quarterbacks this season since he took over the job. And the Patriots' defense is, you know, it's okay. The Patriots, we saw it firsthand last week. They're just okay. They're not not bad. They're not really good either. They're just kind of there. And if you don't don't show up in all three facets of the game, you will lose to them. Broncos Chiefs, uh, the Broncos get to play with a quarterback this week. So all of a sudden, if you have Broncos receivers like Jerry Judy or Tim Patrick, you can uh, you can use them again. That's nice. But uh, they are playing the Chiefs, so temper your expectations. I guess at least for a receiver, you figure they're probably going to throw the ball a lot because they're probably going to be losing that game. Chiefs, of course, 10-1 and on the season. We got a couple Monday night games and a Tuesday night game this week. Washington and Pittsburgh, the Steelers quietly trying to go 12-0, or at least relatively quiet when you're undefeated this late in the season. Washington, for as as bland as you would think they might be this season, and they haven't been good, they're 4-7, but they do lead the NFC East. Antonio Gibson has been a revelation at running back, the rookie, and he's only been getting better the last few weeks. And Terry McLaurin, even without uh, consistent quarterback play, has been a really just a, a solid weapon in the receiving game. But uh, Pittsburgh, that defense, is the main reason they are going for 12-0 this weekend. Bills 49ers, that is the actual Monday night game, and it'll be played at State Farm Stadium, so (laughs) that's just a sign of where we are this year. The second Monday night game in Week 13 doesn't feature the Cardinals, and it'll be played in the Cardinals Stadium. Uh, So, I mean, the 49ers, good luck trying to figure out who their running back is each week, but Debo Samuel has been a, uh, a consistent weapon at receiver when they have uh, when when he's been able to, to to stay on the field. And finally Tuesday evening football, why not? Cowboys Ravens. Uh, we don't know for sure about Lamar Jackson. It sounds like RG3 though is now on IR, so it's possible Trace McSorley is playing quarterback for Baltimore, but he'd be playing against that Dallas defense. So maybe that means Hollywood Brown is I, I mean good luck in that game. That is one of those games where I guess if you have Zeke, you need to start him. Uh, maybe Amari Cooper. These these were supposed to be two good teams this season with a lot of uh, fantasy weapons, and they really don't have them right now, or at least not guys you can consistently trust. And also, uh, the Buccaneers and Panthers, two teams that actually have produced a lot of fantasy points this season, are both on bye this week. Weird to have the bye weeks in Week 13, but those are the last two teams to have them. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks to Jeff Darge behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been The Rundown on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.